Get ready. We'll be in Ephesians. Uh, we're starting a started series there last week. Today, we're really going to talk about together blessing. We pray for God to bless us as we should, but we also pray for God to bless us as we should. And there are certain and unique blessings, qualities, benefits to being together. I was, I was so thankful that when we introduced, um, uh, a few weeks ago, when we, we told everyone that Austin P. was coming, these Chi Alpha students were coming, and they would need places to stay. Man, there were people that went, me, we, we, bring them to my house. You know, we'll, we'll take care of them. And I thought that was great. And for those who were the host homes uh, during this week, thank you so much for opening up your home and, and letting these girls stay there and treating them so well. Uh, and I'll just tell you, they speak well of you. And I want you to know they speak well of you. And so it's a great, uh, great pairing. So thank you for doing that. There are certain times and seasons in life that we recognize as we look back that are monumental moments. And it many times is as we look back, we think, wow, that was a turning point in maybe a country or a community or a family or even an individual's life. We look back and go, wow, I didn't realize that decision would have such impact. I didn't realize going to that worship service or that prayer meeting or being involved with a discipleship ministry, wow, that would make such a big impact, but it truly did. I think as, as our country, as, as America, as we look back at our country, I think there are some real critical times that we can look back and say, wow, that's amazing. I think of our founding fathers uh, so many years ago who had this idea of a country that could be separate from Great Britain, which uh, I don't know of any countries that ever was successful at that attempt, but America was and is. And I just think that was profound. I think of even our sixth president, John Quincy Adam, who um, going totally against the tide said uh, slavery in this country is wrong, slavery anywhere is wrong, and he fought against slavery to the best of his ability. And um, because of the opposition to that, they kind of pushed him over to the side and had him overseeing something that had nothing to do with uh, what they thought was slavery, which they had him in the economy, you know, overseeing the economy. Well, then it was pretty quick, easy tie to recognize, well, this, they are connected. And he fought against it so valiantly. I think of the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, who, of course, we know all that he did. What a tremendous leader in, in the face of opposition. I think of JFK and the Russians and the missile crisis in Cuba. I think of Ronald Reagan, again, back to Russia and the atomic arms race. And now we face another obstacle in this world. And I am praying and hoping that our leadership of this country will stand up with honesty and bravery and stand against injustice. And so I want us to pray for our country and our leadership and leaders around the world that they would stand with a resolute confidence that righteousness will win. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray and we thank you for the fact that there are countries. We thank you that the, for the fact that there is leadership we don't want to live in a world where there's no leaders. And Father, thank you for the leadership of this country. And we thank you, Lord, that we have free elections and we get to choose and we get to vote. Thank you. 
Now, Father, with a crisis in Ukraine, we ask, Lord, for the leadership of this country. We pray for our president, Biden, and we ask, Lord, that you'd give him wisdom and discernment, that you'd give him a resoluteness to know what is right and wrong and to choose right and to do right and to push everybody in that direction. Father, we pray for the leaders around this world that they would put down their political agenda that would, that would in any way work against righteousness. And Father, we pray for the protection of people, innocent people, Lord, who need your help and who need our help. So Father, we thank you that uh, your word tells us you do direct the heart of the king. And that's what we are praying today. You would direct the heart of our president and presidents and kings all around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. These men that I mentioned, and of course, thousands of others, women who I didn't mention, but millions of those we recognize are just so vitally important to the progress and the safety and security of who we are as a nation, as a community, and as a church. And all those people are very important. And yet we look at the individual and we recognize that each one of us is important to the kingdom of God, is important to our families and into our community and to our church. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, 32, better is a better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Just as these people in history we mentioned are so monumental and so wonderful, and yet today God is saying to each of us individually, I am wanting to do something amazing in you and through you, and he's calling us to rise to that occasion, to rise to that challenge and to recognize that he is the power and force working within our lives. We recognize what David wrote in Psalm 139, verses 15 and 16. He said, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. When we look back at the book of Acts and the early start of the Christian religion, if you'd call it that, uh, we recognize that there was a, a turning point in that new church. Of course, Jesus had died on the cross, been buried, resurrected. He appears to his disciples and he says to them, go into preach in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And of course, they did what uh, people naturally do. They just went and talked to the people that they were the most comfortable with. They were Jewish, so they just talked to Jewish people. Jesus had gone to all the world, but they just hung out in Jerusalem. And, of course, then Jesus, I, I guess, I, you know, I'm, it's, sometimes it's difficult to speak for God because you're not quite really sure, but they were just hanging around Jerusalem, and so God said, well, I'm going to have to send some persecution so they'll get out of Jerusalem. So there was some persecution that came to them, and the Bible says they scattered everywhere, and now maybe God's going, well, finally, <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of what I wanted. But then this interesting thing happened that really made a twist and a, and a, and a redirection, if you will. The apostle Peter is uh, kind of resting on the rooftop, and he has a vision of these, uh, and these animals in a sheet, and it comes down, and he hears a voice. It says, kill and eat, and he goes, hey, those are not clean animals. I'm a good Jewish guy. I'm not doing that. Happened three times, and the word, uh, the angel speaks to him and says, hey, don't, don't call unclean what God has called clean. 
And at that very moment, there was a knock at the door, and a guy named Cornelius had also had a word from God, and he sent a messenger to the Apostle Peter's house, and there was a connection there, and you can read the details, but so Peter goes to Cornelius' house, a Gentile, not Jewish, and I can just imagine how nervous Peter was. You know what? I mean, how many of us get nervous just talking to our neighbor about Jesus? Okay, oh, there's two of it. Two of it kind of went, uh, amen. Yeah, and so here's, here's a Jewish guy going to a Gentile's house, and they're going like, okay, I'm not sure why I'm here, but I'll take the opportunity to preach. He did it on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 were born again. He's like, I'll preach again. So he's preaching, and as he's preaching, the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell on that whole household, and they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we understand that in order for that to happen, there's got to be a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so they had accepted Christ. They had accepted the word that Peter preached. And now, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's given to the Gentiles. Jesus is given to the Gentiles. I mean, they're getting saved. And Peter's like, I didn't do that. Don't blame me. Because the Jewish people in that time period were kind of upset. They're like, Peter, what are you doing? The Jewish people, they're Jew we're Jewish, they're Gentiles. What's going on? And Peter says, listen, I was preaching. The Holy Spirit fell on them. It was obvious that God has accepted them. We got to do something about this. It was a turning point in the church. We have turning points in our lives. What unites us is stronger than what divides us. We've been saying that at Hope Crossings for 18 years. What unites us is stronger than what divides us because there's always something that's going to divide us. It could be uh, Jewish and Gentile. It could be North and South, East and West. It could be Black, White, Hispanic, Asian. It can be all of these different things that can divide us, and yet what unites us is stronger than what divides us. And this was a testing ground for the early church. Would they pass or would they not? We recognize that we all have needs. We all are, are messed up in some way or in some degree. We are lost we have that in common. We're lost and we need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. We are loved. God has said, I love you. I'm called, I'm calling you to receive my love because God loves those in this world. And we all have purpose. He has saved us and placed his spirit within us so that we will have purpose in this life and we would follow this new life that he's given us, this new way of living that he's given us. Well, you're in Ephesians, we should turn to chapter 2, and we're going to read verses um, 11 through 18, and uh, there's kind of a division in this section. It's kind of in the middle, of course, of, of chapter number 2. In fact, it, just to let you know, you probably already know this, but as they were writing these letters, they didn't do chapter 1, verse 1. They just wrote the letter. And so later, years later, that we, we as came back and said, well, let's, let's kind of get a picture of how we can divide this up so we can pinpoint certain things. But they're just writing a letter. And so here the Holy Spirit's using the Apostle Paul, and he's writing, and he starts off here in, uh, in verse 11, and he's really talking to the Gentiles. And then he switches, and he begins to talk to the Jews and the Gentiles because the church at Ephesus had this combination of Jews and Gentiles in the church. And this was totally foreign to the Jewish people. They had no idea this is what God was going to do. 
even though it was prophesied. All right, verse number 11 says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? Wow. All right, verse number 14, he kind of shifts and he starts talking to both groups. He says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. We recognize some words there like barrier and this wall of hostility. Some of you, a few of you, may have been in churches where there was conflict. Lisa and I, uh, we were, we'd just got done pastoring our first church there, and so we, were, we knew God was taking us somewhere. We weren't sure. So somebody said, well, this church up in North Georgia, I won't name the city, but this church up in North Georgia needs a pastor. And so we said, well, let's go up there. And, and you know, and so they invited me up to preach on a Sunday. And we walked into the, to the sanctuary on the Sunday morning. It was about this size. And uh, as soon as we walked into the door, what we noticed told us everything. There's a little group over here. There's a little group down here. And there's a little group there. And there's a little group there. And a little group there. And I said, this church is divided. They got problems. And I would have gone, but thank you, Lord. I didn't have to. You may have experienced that. But we read here from what the Holy Spirit is saying to these guys, we're talking about some serious division in this church. Jews and Gentiles trying to figure out how to work it out. I think they wanted to. They were just having a tough time. I think the Jewish people were saying, y'all need to become more like us because, like, we were here first. And I think they were going like, yeah, well, that didn't work out so well, so why don't y'all become like us? And there's this strife, right? There's this difficulty. And so they're focusing on their differences instead of focusing on what they have in common, which is Christ. That's why he says there, Christ is their peace. He starts off with that. He says, Christ, he himself is our peace in verse number 14. I think the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you're here and you're here, but right in the middle, Christ is our peace. And the reason why there's turmoil and conflict in our lives is because we don't have peace. We wrestle inside, so we wrestle outside because we don't have peace with the one who gives us peace. But when we have peace with Christ, then we begin to recognize, hey, I have peace with God, even though I'm not perfect. You have peace with God, even though you're not perfect. Why can't we get along? 
See? And so Christ has called us to live that way, to have peace with one another. But how do we identify ourselves in Christ? How do we identify ourselves in this world? Well, there's mistakes that I think we've all probably made, and some are, are beyond it, and we've learned and grown, but some are right in the middle of it, and we need to be careful how critical we are. We need to be encouraging and uplifting. People find today, many people find today, their identity by first looking inward and then looking outward and then finally looking upward. And we can begin to see that conflict. They begin to look inward and say, well, what, what do I feel? What are my propensities? What do I lean toward? What, what feels natural to me? They look inside first to find their identity. And then they go, hey, is there anybody out there that'll confirm this? Is there anybody out there that likes me like this? <clears throat> if I can get some people to agree with me, I'll feel better about how I feel. And then we go, okay, God, we really got you outnumbered. I mean, I think it's this way. These guys think I got my posse with me, and so we got you outnumbered. I don't think God cares about numbers. I think he's looking down and saying, yeah, but I got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I got, you know, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I got you. See, that's a mistake that I think we've all made. Don't we see that with Adam and Eve? Think back all the way back. These are perfect people, right? Adam and Eve, what did they do? They were given an assignment. You can eat, but not from that tree. And what is the word that Eve said? The Bible says it was desirable. It was desirable. And then there was this serpent thing there that says, good idea. You should do that. The problem is God said don't. The way we should discover our identity is, of course, first to look upward. To say, God, who do you say that I am? The world says I'm a Jew. The world says I'm a Gentile. The world says I'm rich, poor, whatever. The world says all of that. But God, what do you say? Because what you say is more important even than what I feel even though whatever's going on inside, because it is possible for me to have a feeling that is not godly. If you drive your car on Interstate 285, I mean, Jefferson's easy, right? We don't even have traffic jams here. It's possible to have a feeling on the inside, and the temptation is to say, well, God, you made me, so if I have this feeling, you must be okay with it. And we know that doesn't really hold water. We know that really doesn't work, but it feels so good in the moment. But people are using that as a trajectory for their lives, and they're going in wrong directions, and God is saying, I've called you to be more and do more. I've called you to find your identity in me and not in this world. So God, if we go to him first and say, God, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness and all this other stuff will take care of itself. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom and then you don't have to worry about all the other stuff. It's going to be okay. So we look first upward and then we look inward. God, what are you saying to me? God, what are you doing in my life? 
There will be people who agree with me because thirdly, we begin to look outward. We do need our people, right? We do need the body of Christ. But what is first is looking upward and then saying, God, this is what you're saying to me. This is what you called me to do. And sometimes people don't get it and understand it. James Dobson come from a, a family of ministers for years and years. And a lot of his uh, siblings and so forth were pastors. And, and he wanted to go into psychology. And the family was like, but we're preachers. He said, I think I'm supposed to go into psychology and become a doctorate in psychology. Well, I think we all know how that turned out. And he's written so many books, helped millions of people. So we've got to know, okay, God, I'm going to look up. I'm going to look in. And then, then I'll find my people who will support me. And that's what we're talking about is the church is the people that we come together with. And we go, you know what? You're different than me. You're different than me. You're different than me. But yet what unites us is stronger than what divides us. And that is Jesus Christ. And so we're not going to get caught up in the divisions of this world. We're not going to get caught up in political divisions and, and ethnicity divisions and all of this stuff. We're going to say we are united in Jesus Christ. And I can learn from you and you can learn from me and we can all learn from one another. That's the way the body works because we're united and we come together. There in verse number 15, it says that he had a purpose in what he was doing. First, he says, uh, the Lord himself is our peace. And then he says, his purpose was to create. Now, the verse goes on, but we're just going to stop for a moment right there. His purpose was to create. So Jesus dies on the cross, was buried, resurrected. He says, go into all the world and preach. Finally, the apostle Peter gets it, and he goes to Cornelius' house, and he opens up this big, massive gate for the Gentiles, and there's differences, and there's conflict, and there's all this stuff going on, and the Holy Spirit's writing to him and say, okay, follow these instructions. You're going to get it right. Follow these instructions. Let's go. We are one in the body, and what was God trying to do? He was not trying to say, Gentiles, you need to become Jewish. Jewish people, okay, you need to become Gentiles. No, he says he came to create, he did all this to create one new humanity. He's broken down the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That's a real thing. Now, in the Herodian temple, uh, they would have um, places where the Gentiles could come into like the outer area. So the Gentiles who kind of wanted to be Jewish could come into that area and they could pray and do certain things. And, um, and then there was another place where uh, male and female Jews could go. And then and a little further, only male Jews could go. And Jewish men would pray in the temple. They would literally play, pray something like this, say, God, do not listen to the Gentiles when they pray. That's true. And they, archaeologists have uh, verified that they found this sign uh, on um, uh, the temple there. And it said, whoever is captured will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. You imagine if your neighbor built a fence and hung that sign on it? Somebody's going to call the HOA president. I can tell you that much right now. I'm not putting up with this threat. So here's, that's, I mean, I'm just trying to convey the, the extent of the division. And now Christ is uniting. Christ is bringing people together. 
It is our natural bend to isolate ourselves with people like ourselves because we're not challenged then. If we just have people around us that like everything we like and like us, we like them, like life's easy. And we make the mistake as thinking that God wants your life to be easy. He wants your life to be only a blessing. He wants your life to just be like, what? no. He said, I'm going to stir things up. I'm going to bring some people into your life that are going to mess with you. They're not like you. There wasn't one amen right there, not one. I was waiting. He says, I want to stir some things up because water that doesn't move gets stagnant. God says, I want to keep you moving. I want to keep you moving. And so I'm going to bring some things into your life that are going to stir some things up. And it usually comes through people because he wants us to be exposed to people that are not like us because they need to be exposed to us. We need to be exposed to them. And we've got it. We've got it. Because he said, I want to stir things, some things up. And so he brings these Jews and these Gentiles together. And maybe in America, we can personalize it right now. And he says, well, there's going to be a, a church where there's going to be some Hispanics in there, some Latinos. And they do things differently. Y'all are getting real tight on me right now. You're just like, you just went, whoosh, okay, hold on to the seat, honey. We came ahead to Jefferson and started this church, and, you know, I'm as white as it gets, right? I mean, you know, I'm just white. And we came out here, and we just thought, I don't know who's out there. We didn't, we'd only been to this city, like, had driven through it, I think, once. I'm not even sure if we did that. Anyway, we just came out here and started church. And we're just thinking, okay, let's start a church. Let's find out what, what's going to happen. And I tell you, these, uh, this couple came, <clears throat> we hadn't been going for a few months, and this couple came, and they, they came in, and they, they um, as we're starting the worship service, they came in, and they, they turned, and they knelt down in their chair, and they prayed. And we were, we were singing the first song, and they, and they knelt down and prayed. And then they got up, and they, and they started worshiping with us. And afterwards, uh, we met them, and uh, m- my thought was, we'll never see them again, but it was nice to meet them. It was great. They didn't come back the next week, but they came back the following week, and we have not been able to get rid of them since. <laughs> and that's Ralph and Victoria Santos. They, I'm telling you. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and they are ministers of the gospel, and they love people, and they minister to whoever, wherever, whenever, however, but because they're fluent in Spanish, there's, there's an attraction there. And, there's, and they started bringing Hispanic people uh, like crazy. And so our church uh, became basically two-thirds Hispanic. I, I was thankful for one-third that was just English only, one-third that was Spanish only that didn't know English, and then a third that was bilingual. Well, that third in the middle was amazing. They were the glue that held us all together. We'd, we'd all, you know disappeared if that wasn't for them. So we're so thankful for that. And we were, in tr- and we were translating our services into Spanish. 
And, uh, you know, I'd never done anything like that before. And so I'd, I'd say a few words and this translator and say a few words. It really worked out well because, you know, 30-minute sermon is what you guys usually get. But, you know, when you only say half of it, it's 15-minute sermon. And then when we stopped translating with that, I'm like, man, I got to do a whole full sermon now. It's like, I got to earn my money. Wow, okay. That was like we had no idea that was going to happen. It wasn't even on our radar or anything, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because it's beautiful, and it's still, that influence is still here, and it's amazing. It's amazing what we can do when we don't focus on our differences, but we focus on our, our, what unifies us, because that's what strengthens us. That's what causes us to go, oh, God, you are amazing. And I don't need to judge them or them. I don't need to judge anybody. Lord, you're working in all of our lives, and you're doing it differently, and you're doing different stuff, but, God, you're working in all of our lives. Lord, let's move together. Let's move together, you know? You know, just be honest. Okay, so that was all nice and everything, but I've got to tell you something. I don't like being late. Do I need to say anything more? Again, I go back to Ralph and Victoria. Ralph and Victoria are cut out of the same cloth as me. They hate to be late. They are not late. I can't say that about some other people. So we'd start our worship services late. I'm like crawling out of my skin. I can't handle this, but there's only eight people there. You know, I was wanting the other 25. So I said, okay, Russ Spicer, okay, we're going to start a little late today. You know, we're going to let them come in. I got it. I found out though, when you start late, they come later. So I said, Russ, we're starting at 1030. I don't care if there's two people in this room. We're starting at 1030. It didn't change anything. <laughs> the third thing that he brings out there is verse number 18. We'll bring this, we're going to wrap this up. Verse number 18 says, for through him, we both have access to the Father through the Spirit. Well, if you're looking for a verse about the Trinity, there it is. Uh, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but we see all three right here. For through him, through Christ, we both have access. We both, the Gentiles, the Jews, the rich, the poor, the Hispanic, the Latino, the Asian, the black, the white, everybody. We have access to the Father through the Spirit. God loves and brings provision. He brings patience. He brings forgiveness. There's a progressive sanctification in our lives that's happening. That God takes us where we're at and he saves us and, and he, just, he just baptizes us in his love. And then he says, okay, I have set you apart from this world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. And that's an immediate, immediate sanctification right there. He set us apart from the world. We're still in it. We still associate with people. We're just, okay, but we're separate from this worldly system. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to cause you to go through a progressive sanctification that you'll become more like Christ. 
And that's why God brings people into our lives. That's why God says, I, I want the church to be diversified. I want the church to be all kinds of flavors and all kinds of ages. I, I love this church because we have all ages. We have them from a week old to 90 years old and everything in between. Isn't that amazing? Because we learn from each other. We grow. You know? The, the, the worship songs that we sing. Okay. We, we've already gotten real. Let's get even realer. You, you think these guys back here just love all those worship songs? They were, they were raised on hymns. Oh, you're getting tight again. You're getting tight again. But you know what? All those guys, when they see these babies running around here, these four-year-olds and six-years-old, they say, Chris, that's, that's the church. That's, that's good. We need to see babies. If we don't see babies, we're in bad shape. They love that. They love that. But they really liked Amazing Grace this morning. Okay? Yes, amen. That's the body of Christ working together. What unites us is stronger than what divides us. See? And so, therefore, as the body of Christ is strong, we get to reach out into this community and say, come on in. Come on in. You're different. Come on in. You, you don't think the way we think or act the way? Come on in. We're not interested in that. We're interested in Jesus Christ. That's what we're interested in because he is our peace. He's, he's the one that's creating and he's the one that gives us access to the Father by the Spirit. And when all of that works together, it is amazing. And together we are blessed. We are the body of Christ together. Together. And we can do more together than we can alone. But we've got to know who am I in Christ? What is my identity? Have I been getting my identity by the world's system? Have, have, I, have, I, have I gotten my, my props from the world or am I getting my props from God? Have I lost my identity? Have, have, have I gotten into a situation to where an identity has gotten a hold of me? I embraced it and now I can't get free from it. Sometimes a, an identity, it's like a stronghold, it, it we allow it to grab us, and then we feel locked in. We don't know how to get free. But the Bible tells us in Corinthians, he said, the weapons of our warfare, talking about the church, the followers of Christ, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for destroying strongholds, casting down arguments and imagination and every high thing that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so therefore, we come to God and say, God, there's a stronghold in my life. Maybe you've grabbed a hold of a stronghold because it's an identity that you're comfortable with. And you know that by letting go of that identity, you're going, oh, then what, what will my identity be? And I think Christ is saying, it's Christ. Christ is your identity. Yeah, but I won't be just like everyone else. He doesn't want you to be just like everyone else. He is your identity. And he leads us in righteousness. 
He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that's what God's wanting to do. Would you let him do that today? Mickey's going to come up and, uh, and play. And we're just going to have a time of prayer. And uh, there's no, no big song or anything. We're just, we're just going to have a time of prayer. And I think what God is wanting to do today is to say, you know what? I, I, I need to find my identity in Christ. Not, not in a worldly system or even, you know, starting here in, in what I feel or sense or even think is right. We can be wrong. We can be deceived. But if we stick to this book, pray, say, God, what, what do you say that I am? Who, I, who am I in you? Then we just got to work it out. I think uh, God wants to, uh, to really encourage some people this morning about who you are in Christ. Maybe God's given you a, a, a word about a gift or talent or something. He, you know, he's pointing you in the right direction. He's wanting you to go for and do. And yet you're like, oh, I don't know if anybody will accept that. I encourage you, go for it. This is what God's leading you to do. Just go for it. Let's pray.